Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your girl, Holly, and today I'm back with another case for you. I wasn't really sure what to title this episode because it involves a double homicide that is still unsolved and being investigated, but it also involves the discovery of a baby that had been missing for 40 years. And by that quick description, I'm sure you can tell that today's episode is going to be about baby Holly that was missing and the murder of her parents, Tina and Dean Klaus. Now, this story went wild all over social media when the news broke that baby Holly had been discovered alive and well. And prior to all of the breaking news about this discovery, I wasn't familiar with this case at all. And while talking with many other friends of mine that love true crime, most of them weren't familiar with the details of this case either. For weeks, the media was buzzing about this discovery, and the details were very minimal at first. I wanted to know more, obviously. That's just how my true crime brain works, and I was living for this story last June when it all began to unfold. Obviously, as one case comes into the spotlight, eventually it fades out as another one takes its place, but the Klaus family has always been in the back of my mind. And I have to be honest, I haven't seen many other creators talk about this or really go into a ton of details about this, but that could just be because I'm not looking in the right areas and I don't really look much up beyond what I see that pops up in Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but I decided that I wanted to bring this story to a podcast episode. As I mentioned already, this case is still unsolved, and so they deserve to be spotlighted and remembered. And often, like a lot of these unsolved cases, some of the details really aren't out there, or they're super limited, and there's a lot of differing stories, especially with an older case like this one. You guys know I try my hardest to give a good backstory on the victims that I talk about, to tell you about the people that they were, and so on. But again, the age of this case, there's just not a lot of that information out there. So without further ado, let's get into the murder of Tina and Dean Klaus and the abduction of baby Holly. Harold Dean Klaus Jr., who went by his middle name Dean, and Tina Gail Lynn met in 1978 while living in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. When they met, they both were very young. Tina was just 15 years old, and Dean was 19. And they actually met because Dean's sister was dating Tina's brother. 
The moment that they met, they were smitten with each other, and their relationship was described as a whirlwind romance. And on June 25th, 1979, Dean and Tina tied the knot at the Volusia County Courthouse. What I absolutely love about the way that they met and their story is that their siblings also ended up getting married eventually as well. So I thought that was just kind of like a little neat tidbit fact about their families. Now, as I said earlier, there isn't a ton of information about their backgrounds and how they grew up, but this is some of what we do know. Dean was born on June 7th, 1959 to his mother, Donna, and he was one of five children that she would have. Unfortunately, his father, whom he was named after, died when he was just seven years old in May of 1966. So he and his siblings were raised by their mother, who did everything she could to provide for them. Losing his father at such a young age and having to grow up without him was very difficult on Dean, as I think it would be on anyone. But from everything I've seen, it appears that Donna did an incredible job raising her kids. Tina was born on September 21st, 1963, and just like Dean, she actually also lost her father at a young age. And I'm sure that this was something that the two of them really bonded over. Losing a parent at such a young age is an experience that thankfully many people don't have to live through. And when you do live through it and then you find someone who also has lived through it, someone who understands the pain of growing up without their dad, they can connect and completely understand that pain like no one else could. So I really think that helped them come together and really bond in their relationship. We also know that Tina had a brother as well as a sister. There isn't much more about Tina or her childhood. We do, however, know that two years before meeting Tina, Dean was a part of a group called the Jesus People Movement. I was curious about this group, so I looked it up more, and it was actually an evangelical Christian movement that began on the west coast of the United States in the late 60s to the early 1970s. The people involved in the movement refer to themselves as Jesus people or Jesus freaks, and they did many rallies and demonstrations that caught the media's eye in the early 70s, which of course then made the entire movement grow and blow up. There were many people within the movement that claimed they had supernatural abilities, They also had a strong belief in miracles and signs from God. They held their signs that read Jesus loves you at rallies and marched around playing music and preaching the word of God. Those within the community called each other brother and sister, and they really formed one big family. So Dean joined this religious group and moved away from home to really submerge himself within the world of the Jesus People movement. Dean's family, on the other hand, were not so gung-ho about this movement. They actually thought it was more cult-like than an actual religious group. And from what I saw, it did seem a little culty, if you ask me. 
The leader of the group claimed that he was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ himself and had a lot of the followers believing this as well. And we know how that usually goes when people make claims like that to their big religious following. It is often a cult. Thankfully, though, Dean wasn't a part of this group for long, and he eventually called his family asking them to send him some money so that he could begin his journey back home. And then once he got home, this is when he met and fell in love with Tina. Not even a year after their marriage in June of 1979, Dean and Tina welcomed their first baby, which was a little girl that they named Holly Marie Klaus. Now, both of their families were very supportive of their relationship and their marriage, and they were so happy when Tina and Dean announced that they were expecting a child. When they welcomed sweet baby Holly on January 24th, 1980, it seemed as if the world was right for Tina and Dean Klaus. Everything was going really well within their lives. They had this perfect and healthy baby girl that they loved so much and were looking forward to all of the family adventures that the three of them would go on. Everyone on both sides of the family were just as much in love with Holly as Tina and Dean. Holly was an amazing baby with a big personality for being such a little thing. She had reddish-brown hair that she had inherited from her mother, Tina, and she was just cute as a button. Just a few months after her birth, Dean was offered a job in the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area, working for D.R. Horton Home Builders, which he accepted, and so Tina, Dean, and baby Holly picked up their lives and moved from Florida to Texas. Tina and Dean were really hopeful that this move was going to be a big success for Dean. He was a carpenter, and they were hoping that this new opportunity would just continue to grow for them. But being a young married couple with a fresh new baby, they really didn't have much to their name as far as money goes or personal belongings. And in order to make this move, they were in need of a car. So Dean's mother actually allowed the kids to borrow her car, which was a red 1978 AMC Concord, and they used it to move themselves to Texas. Once they arrived there, they lived with one of Dean's cousins until they were able to save up enough money to get on their feet and afford to move into a place of their own which they did after just a few months, and they got settled into a place that was located in Louisville, Texas. Things seemed to be going, again, very well for this little family there in Texas, and Tina would often write letters to their families, updating them on how life was. She would write about baby Holly and the things that she was starting to do and the milestones that she was hitting. She would also send the family pictures of Holly as well. Even though they were far from Florida, she wanted their families to still feel like they knew Holly and that they still were able to watch her grow up. So she wrote to them quite often. And this was something that their families looked forward to. 
I don't know about y'all, but I grew up with letters in the mail from pen pals and family, and it was always exciting to check the mail each day. And I can imagine that's exactly what Tina and Dean's families felt while they waited for Tina's letters. But in October of 1980, the letters suddenly stopped coming. And though this was strange, they thought that maybe Tina was just busy with Holly. She was nine months old at this point, which can be a very busy time, with babies starting to be on the move with crawling and rolling, and even some babies I've heard have walked as early as nine months old. They had no reason to fear that something bad had happened. So for a few months, they waited and waited for a new letter to arrive with news of how life was going in Texas and how Holly was doing. But those letters would never come. After months of not hearing from Tina or Dean Klaus, their families anxiously awaited a new letter to arrive in the mail. Day after day, they checked the mail only to find nothing. It wasn't until either the very end of December 1980 or the very beginning of January 1981 that the Klaus family received a strange phone call. The caller said that their name was Sister Susan and that she was a part of a religious group that Dean and Tina had joined. She said that Tina and Dean had made the decision to cut off all communications with family and had given away all of their possessions after joining this group. And this included that AMC Concord that Dean borrowed from his mother, Donna. Sister Susan tells Donna on the phone that they are willing to drive the car back to her in Florida, but they want to be paid $1,000 to return it. And that's a lot of money if you ask me in even today's time, but imagine being early 1980s. That was a whole lot of money for those times. Now, Donna thought that this entire thing was weird. But the idea of her son and Tina joining this group again wasn't really that far-fetched, since he had previously been involved in the group, or at least a similar group, so to her, it kind of made sense. So she agreed to pay Sister Susan the $1,000 to get her car back, and she agreed to meet up with Sister Susan at midnight in the parking lot of the Daytona Speedway racetrack. And if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, what the heck? First off, why so late? Secondly, what a weird place to meet. But then again, maybe it's just an easy location to find. I don't know, but it did seem odd. And Donna also felt like the entire thing was just suspicious. And she was smart and called the police to tell them about the ordeal. She also told the police where they were going to be meeting up and when. And I just want to say major props to her for making sure that she was protected and for identifying that this entire thing was not normal. When the day and time rolled around to meet up with Sister Susan, she arrived with two to three other females, and it was said potentially one male was there as well. 
all of the people were dressed in robes and were barefoot, and they appeared to be a part of a religious group. When they arrived, they did in fact have the AMC Concord, and it was 100% Donna's vehicle. So Donna handed over the $1,000 to Sister Susan. The authorities were again involved, and because the car was actually Donna's and the exchange went as planned, they didn't do much because it didn't appear to be anything shady happening at that point. I want to say that the information on this case and this whole situation with Sister Susan is pretty scarce, and it's hard to 100% down the full facts. This is just what I was able to find through researching and watching and listening to interviews and other coverages of the case, but it was said that at one point, Sister Susan and the others were taken into custody and brought in for questioning. But the police that are now working on this case have been searching for a police report on this incident, and as of currently, nothing has been found. After getting the car back, both Donna and Tina's family waited and waited to hear something from them, but they never made contact. Nothing about any of this was sitting well with their families. They just couldn't fathom why Tina and Dean would cut off communications, religious group or not. They had their daughter that they wanted their families to know about. Why the sudden change? It just didn't make sense to their families, nor did it seem like something that would be within their character. And from what I gathered during Dean's original stint in this religious group, he didn't cut off communications with his family. So it seems like this was completely out of left field. After some time, both Tina and Dean's families decided that it was time to just file a missing persons report. Each of their families attempted to do this separately, and both times nobody took their concerns seriously. And a lot of the reasons for the concerns not being taken seriously is the fact that the car was returned to Donna. And I can understand how that looked to authorities. It wasn't like this car was found abandoned and returned. It didn't appear to have any damages. And again, these people randomly contacted Donna to return the car. I can see how this appears from the outside looking in that they voluntarily cut off ties and communication with their families. There didn't appear to have been a crime committed at all. Despite not having any help, the family still did what they could to somewhat search for their kids. They told anyone who would listen about them, and they watched for them everywhere they went. During this time when the family was trying to make these missing persons reports, they had no idea that two sets of human remains had been found. On January 12, 1981, just north of Houston, Texas, in a wooded area, their bodies had been found just steps away from each other and were significantly decomposed. They were, however, able to identify that this was a man and a woman. But beyond that, these remains would go unidentified for 40 years. For 40 whole years, the Klaus and Lynn family would wonder what happened to Tina and Dean and baby Holly. 40 
agonizing years. That is just unfathomable to think about the pain that their family endured for 40 years wondering what happened. I'm sure they tried to remain hopeful and upbeat, thinking that they were living a life within this religious group, but I cannot imagine the fear that they also must have felt. So when their bodies had been discovered, it was because of a dog that had ran into the woods and returned to its owner holding a human arm. The authorities were alerted, and when the police followed the dog back into the woods, they made the gruesome discovery. Again, these remains were found just north of Houston, Texas, which was nearly 300 miles south of where Dean and Tina had been living in Louisville. The Jane Doe, which we now know was Tina, was strangled to death, and the John Doe, who was Dean, had been gagged and beaten. According to the forensic anthropologist, in his opinion, it had appeared that the man had died while trying to protect the woman. It was his assumption that the woman had died first and then the man, and he began referring to this John and Jane Doe as Romeo and Juliet. He also had stated that it appeared that the couple had been deceased for at least two months before their remains were found. The Jane Doe's description was that she had reddish-brown hair, was a teenager or a young adult, and she had brown eyes. Her fingernails also had appeared to have been bitten down. The John Doe was described as an adult male that was older than the Jane Doe, and he was listed as having dark brown hair and thick eyebrows. Sketches of the victims had been created to help try and identify them, but as we know, that was unsuccessful. Obviously, there was a thorough search done of this area to see if any other remains were located or any other potential evidence that was out there, but there was none. So where was baby Holly? Police had no idea that these two people had a child that was now missing. Of course, this was also all before social media, which always plays such an important role in identifying who these Jane and John Does are in today's time. Social media really helps in the aspect of sharing these cases across the country, so people with missing loved ones may potentially see it. Many cases have been solved due to these pictures and sketches being released of Jane and John Does that have been found. If this happened in today's age, I feel like the Klaus and Lynn family would have found out quickly about these unidentified remains and could have began the process of DNA testing for positive identification. But of course, this was back in the 80s, so they remained unidentified for 40 years, and their families had no idea that human remains had even been found near Houston. In 2011, the Harris County investigators were given permission to exhume dozens of unidentified murder victims for the purpose of extracting DNA, and then to upload that DNA into CODIS. And I'm sure most of you all have either heard me talk about CODIS or heard of CODIS from other podcasts or true crime shows. But just as a refresher, CODIS is the Combined DNA Index System. 
It is the United States National DNA Database created and maintained by the FBI. It is a computer software program that operates local, state, and national databases of DNA profiles from convicted offenders, unsolved crime scene evidence, and missing persons. Harris County was hopeful that they would get some matches on some of these cases since CODIS had been up and running since the early 90s. But unfortunately, though, in the case of the Romeo and Juliet Doe, they didn't get a match at that time. But new DNA profiles are constantly being uploaded. So even though it didn't happen at that point when they first initially input it into the system, they were hopeful that eventually they would get a match. Fast forward to 2021 when genetic genealogy comes into play. And let me just say, I am so fascinated by the advances we've made with DNA and genealogy and all of that jazz. It's absolutely incredible to see old cases being solved because of genetic genealogy, which genetic genealogy is also slightly controversial. But I am so incredibly thankful for it, for the fact that many families are finally able to get answers years later. And that is exactly what happened with this case. Okay, so this part also really excites me because it is incredible. I'm sure like 99.9% of you are familiar with the media company called AudioChuck. It was started by Ashley Flowers, and AudioChuck hosts a lot of super awesome podcasts, including Crime Junkies, which I know is like the top dog of true crime podcasts. Well, AudioChuck donated money to help fund two genealogists from Identifiers International, and they were able to begin building a family tree based off the DNA profiles from the Romeo and Juliet does. Within just a few days, those two genealogists were able to identify relatives related to them. They called Dean's sister and she confirmed that yes, she did have a missing brother who had been missing for 40 years and that he was married. They felt like they struck gold, but they were surprised at the question that Dean's sister asked next. She asked what happened to the couple's baby. This completely shocked the team working on this case because they had no idea that Dean and Tina had a baby. So not only did the authorities have this murder to solve now that they knew who these two victims were, they also were faced with finding out what happened to Holly Marie Klaus and was she still alive. In January 2022, the official search for Holly began, and when this news hit the media, women started to come forward offering their DNA thinking that maybe they were baby Holly. The genealogist tested every single person that came forward hoping that they'd get a hit, but of course all of this takes time and it's not a quick process. In late January of 2022, the family history detectives launched a special project in Holly's honor with the help of Holly's family. 
they called it Hope for Holly Project. And according to the PR Newswire, its mission was to screen, DNA test, and help identify those with uncertain childhoods, including the women who thought that they could potentially be Holly. The acronym HOPE stood for Helping Other People Embrace, and it was coined by Holly's aunt, Teresa, who was one of Dean's sisters. In that same article, Teresa was quoted saying, The word embrace, that's how I feel towards Holly now. I want so much to be able to embrace her and never let her go. And we want these other women who have questions to be able to embrace who they truly are as individuals with the help of DNA. According to the Texas Observer, the family gathered on March 1, 2022 on Wallaceville Road where Tina and Dean had been found. This was the first time that the Klaus and Lynn families had left their homes in Florida, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Alabama to go and visit the spot where Tina and Dean had been found. This was a very emotional gathering, and everyone couldn't help but wonder where baby Holly was. They were terrified that they would never get those answers. But thankfully, they wouldn't have to wait too long before Holly Marie Klaus was found. Holly Marie Klaus was identified on June 7, 2022. But what is so huge and significant about this day that she was identified on is that it would have been her father, Dean's 63rd birthday. That little tidbit absolutely blew my mind. How freaking incredible for Dean and Tina's families, but specifically Dean's. It's almost as if this was some amazing out-of-this-world sign from Dean. Holly had grown up with a different name, and by the time that she was found, she was 42 years old living in Oklahoma. She was a mother of five and had two grandchildren. Now, Holly has chosen to primarily stay out of the public eye, and I think everyone should respect that and give her the most privacy that we can. Someday, if Holly ever decides to share her story or give more details, I am sure the media and everyone will embrace her with open arms whenever she is ready to tell her story. But at this time, she's pretty much off the radar. But what we do know is that Holly had been dropped off at a church in Arizona around the time that her parents were believed to have been murdered. It was said that a group of women had dropped her off at this church. And from the sounds of it, they seemed to match the description of the type of people whose sister Susan was involved with within their religious group. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children helped pay to reunite the Klaus and Lynn family with Holly. Prior to the in-person meeting, Holly was able to do a Zoom call with them. And just thinking about this moment for Tina and Dean's families, and even Holly, is just bringing tears to my eyes. The emotions, the nerves, I could only imagine how they all were feeling in that moment. Getting to see and hear her voice for the first time in over 40 years. 
Now, there is still so much work to be done on this case, and the investigators really believe that the people of this religious group are responsible for their murders. And if they're not, they at least know who is. Given the fact that they returned this car to Donna, and it seems like they were the ones to have dropped off baby Holly at the church, I feel like this assumption is right, and I'm sure most of you all do as well. Sister Susan has never been identified to this day, but the police remain hopeful that someone somewhere will come forward with information that will lead them in the right direction. This case is still an active and ongoing investigation, and the miracles that have happened in this case is proof that anything can happen, and the truth can eventually come to light. It's a solid reminder to never give up hope. The latest update that I found on this case was from this last January. According to an ABC News article, a final search of the land where Tina and Dean had been found was conducted in late January 2023. They had two search dogs out on the property and they both independently hit on the area where Tina and Dean had been found 42 years earlier. During this search, the investigators bagged up a few items that were located and had taken a small sample of the soil. The article stated that the main reason for the final search of the land was to give the green light for its future occupant to break ground. Beyond this slight update, there has been no other updates in the case, but I know that the investigators are doing everything they can to solve this case. I want to add that the people who adopted Holly and took her in are no way suspects in this case. I'm assuming that everyone kind of gathered that. However, I just want to put it out there so it was completely clear that they are not involved. If you or anyone you know has any kind of information, no matter how small or insignificant you feel that it may be, please call it in. You can contact the Cold Case and Missing Persons Unit at 512-936-0742, or you can email them at coldcaseunit at oag.texas.gov. Lastly, I want to add that Genealogy for Justice has started a pretty awesome memorial fund. It is called the Dean and Tina Lynn Klaus Memorial Fund, and the funds go towards DNA identification of John and Jane Doe cases at no cost to overburden law enforcement agencies. As of right now, the fund has raised nearly $40,000 with a goal of $100,000. I, of course, will share that link in the description of this episode if you're able to donate and would like to. No amount is too small, and it will help give closure to families like Dean and Tina's. Crimeaholics, make sure that you are a part of our private Facebook group. You can find it by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. You can also follow us over on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast, and if you'd like more true crime content, you can follow me on TikTok at the same username of crimeaholics.podcast. Lastly, if you want to follow me personally and keep up with all that I have going on in my life, you can find me on Instagram at Crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, that is all for this week. Until next time, be aware and take care.